Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. I didn't realize I was being rejected because of my height. You know, the Bible says, a little proof texting here for you, that, uh, are you familiar with the passage that says all have sinned and come what? Yeah. So you just got to realize when you're looking at this, that that's a proof text. What's out for those? All right, let me see if I can get my iPad open here or else we're all in trouble, right? So I'm glad to be here at uh, Southridge. Uh, it's, I love you guys. I really do. I've been here. I, I hear from your staff. I'm coaching them. And it's just a fun thing to be here and talk. I got to be honest with you, though. It's a miserable trip out here. Look at my size. I'm 6'5". I weigh 280 if I have my shoes off. I'm not built for planes. I get in those things, but about halfway here, I'm starting to think, okay, I get to hang out with the staff there and you guys, so it's worth it. Plus, to be in California, get in and out burgers. They don't have them in Florida, and I, I really want to be a part of that. You know, you guys are doing whatever it takes, and that's the cool part, to create a place to help people find and follow Jesus. I want to thank Pastor Makai, Jane, and the staff for inviting me. It's a privilege. I know it's a big deal to give up a place up on the platform to speak, and, and I'm grateful for that. And you all are crazy. You know that. I told you that last time. It needs to sink in. To do portable church, to meet here in a, in a hotel, and in a conference room. People go, why would you do that? Because people need Jesus, right? Yeah. And so we'll do whatever it takes to make Southridge a harsh place to get to hell from, right? We, we don't want people heading that way. But this is a great group pursuing God fully. And uh, I, I hope you love your staff. In fact, would you throw some love toward them right now? Give them a hand. I mentioned, Makai mentioned that I spoke here before. And uh, this weekend we've been doing a marriage conference. One of the things I love about this place is the authenticity. You guys are honest about your mess-ups, your foul-ups, your screw-ups, and all that stuff. If you're new here, do you know the people around you have issues? Look, Look around. Look. Oh, my goodness. Tell them you have issues. Go ahead. And now tell them I have issues, too. Go ahead. Yeah, not Hal has issues. You have issues, right? If your first time is today, you're going to love this place because it's authentic. They don't wear masks, and it's messy. Let me say this. No mess, no ministry. No ministry, no mess. If there's not mess, we don't reach the people that need to be reached. Jesus didn't come to the ones who had thought they had it all together. He came to the ones who didn't have it all together. So that's why I like being here, because I don't have it all together. I'm messed up too. Well, Friday... <laughs> Y'all should boo that or something. I mean, <laughs> Friday night we talked about celebrate your differences in marriage because the truth is opposites attract, right? And if we don't pay attention, they soon attack. In fact, you will do that if you're married. Now you're here and you go, I'm not married yet. Okay, pay attention. Maybe you can start better than we did. Or you're saying, I don't want to get married. Okay, you're going to be counseling your friends who are married. I promise you, they're going to come to you with their problems. So take some good notes today so you can help them. Friday night, celebrate your differences. Saturday, 
how to cultivate communication. How do you build a marriage where open and honest communication happens? And we said if we're going to communicate, we're going to have to learn how to listen first. How many of y'all struggle with listening? All right, anybody not raising their hand, that's why. They didn't hear me say that. How many of you struggle with listening? Oh, I got a little bit better that time. Good job. So today we're going to talk about how to finish together. Uh, we're going to look at some keys for making marriage through the long haul. Uh, I've been married 43 years, and I don't have a perfect marriage. My wife is not here, or she would amen that and stand up and give us testimony, right? But one of our choices was, as we went through difficulty, as we went through challenges, that we weren't going to quit. Now, that's a fun statement to say when you're standing all cleaned up and she's all cleaned up and, and you're with somebody doing the vows and you're saying, yes, I'm in it for life. But it gets a whole lot tougher when you smell his morning breath. <laughs> and the day gets rough. And you've got to decide, we're going to stay in this. Keep showing up. Write that down. That's the key day. You can leave now if that's all you need. Keep showing up. What do I mean? Just keep showing up. Show up in your marriage. Don't give up. Don't walk off. Stay in it. And I'm going to talk about how we can do that. So let's pray together as we dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the generosity of grace that you give us. Thank you for the gift of your son. God, you have a plan for marriage. You have a plan for how we treat other people. Today, would you give us light? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts so that we can take a next step as we follow you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin with an interesting guy in the Old Testament. Name was King David. There's two verses about his life that are kind of bookends. One's the beginning of his kingship. The other's the end of it when he died. Acts 13, 22 says this. But God removed Saul, and that was the first king Israel had, and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, watch this. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after what? My own heart. He says, King David, he, he's after my heart. He wants me. He will do everything I want him to do. God say that about you? Man, I want that said about me. I want to be a guy who has a heart for God. And people would say, you know, Hal wasn't the smartest guy in the room. But he had a heart for God. There was something about him that I could tell he cared about pleasing Jesus more than everybody else. Now, I am not political on this, but I'm going to tell you, in culture today, we're playing this cancel culture stuff, and that's destructive because Christians, we don't cancel anybody. It doesn't, Jesus didn't. Their culture that day, they had canceled all the sinners, right? Oh, don't let them in, Jesus, you can't eat with them. No, it's love everybody, guys. It's, it's love everybody. And then the bookend on David's life when he died. Acts 13, 36. <clears throat> For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he what? I want to finish well. Now I figure I'm middle-aged. You know, I'm 37. <laughs> I color my hair to give the... Uh, Impression of age. I know some of y'all do a pretty good job with the wrinkles too. I know. But the truth is, I've got fewer years in front of me than I have behind me. And I want to finish well. I don't want to run this race hard and end up in a ditch when it's over. But here's what I know. A lot of times we think to finish well, I can't have any blow-ups. 
You're watching NASCAR. Maybe that's just the Florida thing. But, and they run off the road, and, and they're through with the race. And you think, well, how you don't know about me? You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't understand who I've hurt. God's done with me. And the fear is our mess-ups, we think they disqualify us. Let me tell you a little bit more about King David. He was the youngest of eight boys. Can you imagine? How many of y'all have younger siblings? Man, I have two younger brothers. I used to beat on them. They did everything. Y'all didn't do that? Stop. You're in church. I told you you're authentic here. Yeah, I can't imagine eight older, seven older brothers, the work he had to do. Well, he's out in the field taking care of the sheep, and that is one messy job. And Samuel comes to anoint the next king. He said, he's one of your sons. So he, Jesse brings in his boys, lines them up by age. No, nope, none of them. They finally call David in from the field, and he picks him. In fact, he anoints him at that time. Now, here's a side thought. David was anointed then, but it was years before he ever became king. God had to do something in him before he could do something through him. The same as your case. You said, I want a bigger platform, God. I want you to use me bigger in business. I want you to use me in a bigger church. I want you to use whatever that is. God's going to do something in you before he does something through you. And that was David's thing. So you know he then calls up to battle and he's the guy who beats Goliath. Which, by the way, all these small people that come after me, I'm thinking that only happened once in the Bible. So stop it. Stop coming around with your rocks and slingshots. He becomes the king that unifies Israel. Israel's been separated. They've been at war. Then he blows it. I mean, we saw the bookends of his life, but I want you to see something he just blew up, and I'll tell you why in a minute. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go to war, David, he was the king, sent Joab, his military leader, and the Israelite army out to fight the Ammonites. Late one afternoon after midday rest, now catch this, his guys are at battle. You, you read that first line, by the way, when kings what? Normally go to war. He's supposed to be out with his men. He takes a mental health day. I don't know. He takes a day off. He's got a temper, whatever. And now he's taking a nap. His guys are out in the battlefield. So uncool for a king to do that. And then he wakes up from his nap. And he turns into the voyeur king. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. Why was he doing that? I, he was, this was not an accident what's going to happen. He knew what happened midday. You see, it took, after midday, the cisterns on top of the homes, had, the water had heated up and they could take a shower. And the only person they could see in the backyard was the king because his castle had high walls and he was up high. He looks out over the city, and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. This would have never happened had he not gone there. By the way, you want to keep your marriage affair-proof? Don't spend time with someone of the opposite sex without your spouse. Okay? Knock out 90% of the affairs right there. Well, I'm not playing. I don't care. Wrong place, wrong time, temptation, he couldn't handle it. The king becomes a peeping Tom. This is the closest thing he could find to internet porn of that day. He summons her to his palace, sees her naked, he summons her to his palace, gets her pregnant, 
And I was thinking, I gotta hide this, because I'm the king. So he invites her husband home from the front, Uriah the Hittite, and says, uh, come on home and hang out with your wife. And he's hoping he's gonna have sex with her so that when she's pregnant, he won't know. And he won't sleep with her. He sleeps on the front door. He said, if my men are out in battle, I can't be having the pleasures of marriage. Unbelievable. So what's he do? The next morning, King David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. Basically, the letter says, put this guy at the front of the fight. And when the siege comes towards you, withdraw and leave him there to die. Is that amazing? A man of huge integrity, Uriah, the king is murdering to hide his sin. Adultery, murder, and he's thinking he's getting away with it. And then Nathan, the prophet, shows up and tells him a story. He says, that's unbelievable. This guy had one little lamb. And this wealthy person had a whole flock. The wealthy person takes the young lamb and he kills it and eats it with his family. And King David said, who is that man? He needs to be brought in. I'll put him to death. <laughs> and Nathan said, you're the guy. And suddenly David realized he was caught. It's exactly what he had done. So what's he do? Interestingly enough, he repents. He repents to God. In Psalm 51, it says this, create in me a clean heart. Now, David's praying here and he's writing this out. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. I'll write down these two verses, Psalm 51, two chapters, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Two of the best chapters on how to repent because this is what David's going through when he's getting right with God after this amazing sin he's created. He comes back to God big. By the way, he doesn't escape all the consequences. There's some consequences from our sins. You and I, just because we, doesn't mean we escape consequences. I'm saying that so it doesn't, we don't go, hey, I'll just live the way I want, confess it, life is good. So why don't I start with his example? I'm trying to encourage you to finish together. Because there's always a road back. Okay? Always a road back. If you're still alive, there's still a road back to God. But how? You don't know. I don't. But I know who Jesus stepped in and made a difference with, you know, in the lineage of Jesus, there is a prostitute named Rahab. What my Lord in his back. God can do anything to somebody with somebody who surrendered to him. And what I want to tell you, some of y'all have given up on marriage. You've given up on life. You've given up on family. God's not done. Get off the sidelines and get back in the game, right? Get in there and start doing what God's calling you to do. I know everybody in this room has some hurts, hang-ups. Some of you were, some of these were inflicted by others. Was not your choice. You're a victim. I get that. I don't minimize what they did at all. But I want to maximize for you what God's done. You can move forward. Some of your wounds were self-inflicted. It's on you. I mean, David can blame nobody but himself. And we want to minimize it. Well, that wasn't really what I planned to do it. See, if we blow it big, or if we've blown it big, we tend to check out and think, God's done. I can't get back. So I'll go to church and I'll pray, but God can't use me. That's not true. 
I've blown it so bad in my marriage, God can't use me. Forgiveness is a road back. We'll talk about that. And here's the challenge. Some pastors, myself included, I struggle talking about God's grace at this level because I know people who go, oh, cool, I'll go on Friday night and live like the devil, and then I'll just confess my sin on Saturday morning, and God will forgive me. If somebody's doing that, they don't understand the price of our forgiveness. They don't understand the cost that happened. They don't understand what Jesus did to buy us, and they don't understand forgiveness. The truth is real repentance and forgiveness doesn't act that way. But here's my concern today. Too often we're leaving people in the ditch. They've been hit, sometimes by being dumb, walked out in the middle of the road. Sometimes somebody swerved off. They need a hand out. They don't need somebody standing up there pointing at them and saying, if I were you, I wouldn't have done that, you big dummy. Well, why are you in the ditch? Didn't you know? That's not what they need. Same in your marriage. Have you discovered yet lecturing your spouse doesn't work? Am I the only one? Oh, okay. Absolutely not. What does work is loving them. But I want to fix them. You can't. The only person you can fix is you. You know that. And that's a challenge in and of itself. I've been working at that for a long time, and I hadn't fixed it yet. But there's always a way back. I know there's immorality, theft, divorce, character flaws. But here's what I know. Forgiveness can be found in God. Right? And so, translated into marriage, Al, okay. My spouse has blown it. I've got to forgive them. Now, trust, they have to earn. Don't mix that. Trust is going to have to be re- rebuilt to determine how big the, blow, the mistake was. That's not bad. That's what is. So we want you to earn that trust back. You can get to counsel. You can get a lot of help together. Get in a small group. All right, so let's talk about how to finish together. First idea. Center your marriage on grace. Will you write that in or circle it? As soon as you are married, there is friction. Have you discovered that? You ever heard the term heavenly sandpaper? God wants to shape us to look like Jesus. You can write down Romans 8, 29. And often he's going to use our spouse. And some of you are saying they're more like a chisel. I get it. But God wants to shape you and you are fighting your spouse. And God said, you don't get it. I want to develop you. But when you center your marriage on grace and the friction comes, you can deal with it. You see, grace is like engine oil. Anybody here ever have a car run out of oil you didn't know it? It'll lock up on you. It gets ugly. Why? Because there's natural friction. And if you don't have oil, you won't be running long. In marriage, there is natural friction. Two people together, there's always friction. Unless somebody's dead. I mean, you get two people together, there's at least three opinions. I mean, I got multiple personalities, right? Yes, you do. No, you don't. (laughs) The truth is, friction's there. But oil for marriage is God's grace. Grace is the understanding that forgiveness is unearned and undeserved. You didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to earn it. But God gives it freely. It's interesting, though. Oftentimes, we gladly receive it. But we struggle at giving it. When I struggle in forgiveness, one of the things I'll add up, as I look at what that person did, and I'll start thinking of all the things God's forgiven me of. 
After I get a little way, I go, wait a minute. I've done way worse than that. And I sinned against God, and he's perfect. Me, not so much. Grace doesn't minimize the pain in your marriage. It magnifies the forgiveness that you must give. Okay? Grace is not minimizing what he did or what she said. Not at all. You can't go forward without the truth on this. So you don't push it back in a corner. You don't shove it under the covers. You open it up. You apply grace. So you won't be married long. When I do a wedding, I say, you'll probably have to forgive him before the night's over, ladies. He's going to say something dumb or do something dumb. How many of y'all are married to somebody that did something dumb on their, on your, after your marriage? Ladies only. How many? <laughs> Jane. I've heard stories. <laughs> These guys are fun. You know they're so authentic. That's what I love about Pastor Mackay and Jane. They'll tell the truth about each other. If you weren't at the marriage conference, oh my goodness. Just saying, y'all have to check. Some of the hurts are accidental. He didn't intend to do that. Some are intentional. Either one has to be forgiven. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Apostle Peter thought when he was being generous about forgiveness to Jesus. He's kind of, Peter's, Peter reminds me of me. I talk before I think. I say stuff before it runs through a filter. Well, this guy is always going to be the first one to have his hand up and talk or probably talk first and then raise his hand. Then Peter came to him, talking about Jesus, and he asked. And he wasn't asking. He was wanting to look good. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? God, I'm pretty good at this. The law says three times. And so if I'm doing seven times, I'm not kicking it. So Jesus, look at me. And Jesus looks at him. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Here's the deal. Stop keeping score. Forgive. Do you keep scoring your marriage? Why, you did this, this, and this. So I'm going to cause you pain, quietness, rejection, all of that. Now, if you weren't here for our conference, you missed me giving the guys a hard time. But I got to tell this story about this husband and wife who went to the pastor. They were having a tough time. And the guy was sitting there and they're talking and the pastor says, well, tell me what's going on. He says, she just gets historical all the time. The pastor said, you mean hysterical? He said, nope. Every time I do something wrong, she brings up my past. Now, that's funny. Would you laugh, ladies, please? Let them know I'm okay. That's what happens when we get historical. We keeping score. Jesus said, uh-uh, 70 times 7. You can't keep scoring your head up to 490 unless you're a different kind of smart than I know about. I have two friends who marriage survived because of grace. Because that's what they chose. And here's what, when I got in and talked to them, they said, you know what? The wife started chasing the kids. He started finding success at work. And they slowly grew apart. Slow. This guy was a godly guy, played in our band, taught small group, uh, was, was a, a deacon pastor, all this stuff. And he made the choice to step out. But through counseling, through some real hard work, they put it back together. And the sad thing is, for me, my, this friend of mine died about a month ago. He was hit by a truck when he was biking on his car, on his bicycle. When Sandy and I, my wife Sandy, went up and met with her, she says, you know one of the greatest things? 
for years, Danny's loved and followed Jesus and honored me and been generous and all that. And that's the legacy he left. But if I could take you back to that night, if I could take you back to the airport where they're walking off holding hands and his wife standing there watching, how? Only God. Only God. And they knew it wasn't going to happen without some real help. Here's a sadder story. That one was sad, but it ended well. A couple wanted to meet with me, and so we're, we're sitting there having coffee together, and, and he's angry, and she's, she's just withdrawn. She's been wounded. And so I said, help me, what's going on? He said, well, my wife won't forgive me. I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, I made a mistake, and she, she won't forgive me. And I'm looking at her, I said, is that right? She said, yep. And I said, help me with your mistake. He said, I, I had an affair. And I stopped and I said, time out. A mistake is wearing mismatched socks. He wasn't feeling the weight of it. I said, you committed adultery. You broke her trust. You got to own that if you ever want to gain trust again. Oh, yes, she needs to forgive you. But you got to own it. He didn't. Oh, it's just a mistake. They didn't make it. You make the choice. You want to finish well? See, if we embrace grace, we embrace repentance. Own your mess. Turn to the person beside you and say, you need to own this mess. Go ahead. Some of y'all enjoyed that. Now you're giving them a list. <laughs> All right, we said center your marriage on grace. Second thing is this. Prepare for the seasons of marriage. Now, I'm living in Florida. We have two seasons, hot and hotter. I used to live up north, and in the winter, you put snow chains on, and you watch everything turn brown and die, and all that stuff. But if you're going to go through the seasons in marriage, the key is preparation. You ever wonder why some couples make it through the hard times, and other couples throw in the towel? You know, in your marriage in spring, things are starting to blossom. You're just married, and it's all up and to the right. Things are good. She loves you, you love her, and you don't know enough about her, and she doesn't know enough about you, and life is good. And then you have summer. Everything seems to be growing. This is going great. And then there's fall. You notice some things start to die. The elbowing in this room is amazing. <laughs> Stay with me. And then winter, some things, you look around and nothing seems to be alive. How do some people, how do some couples make it through financial downturn and they don't self-destruct? They go through the wall and they don't self-destruct. I believe it's because they're prepared. They're making deposits into their marriage, okay? You know, the deposits in our marriage come in the seasons of good. I'll talk about that in a second. I'm going to talk about a guy in the Bible who uh, understood this principle of preparing for lean times. It's not a marriage story, but it's about Joseph. Won't go through all of his life to put him here, but uh, he's uh, standing before Pharaoh. He just interpreted his dreams, and here's what he says to Pharaoh. He said, the next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there'll be seven years of famine. He's telling them, this is what your dream means. All the prosperity will be forgotten. In Egypt, famine will destroy the land. And Pharaoh says, well, if you're that smart, I'm going to put you in charge. So he does. And as predicted, seven years of famine happened. The land produced seven... Seven years of bumper crops. And then uh, the land produced all this stuff. 
So he's saving it up at all the bit and all these bins. And then I'm jumping through some passages because you can read. Uh, verse 53 says this. At the last seven years of bumper of crops, the land of Egypt came to an end. Uh, the prop, crops did. Uh, then seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted the famine struck. But, one of the best buts in the Bible, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Why? That's like a question. Uh, why? Because they prepared, right? He prepared because he knew lean times would come. I promise you, if you're not in a lean time in your marriage, you will be in one. It's not bad. It's not necessarily good. It's what is. So you have to prepare. You have to make deposits in those seasons of abundance. Some people get thinking, oh, man, we're doing so good. And we go our separate ways. She's chasing her girlfriends on dates, and he's out with the guys. And then when it gets tough, they don't have anything. You know, also in the season, some things that need to die do. Maybe you've got some other relationships that need to die off, right? Maybe you've got some things that aren't healthy. That's the way God's designed life, to to run through that. But here's the thing. If you and I don't make deposits, we'll get overdrawn. And that's ugly. Here's Here's what it looks like. You're going along and you think stuff's okay. You do one little thing and there's a blow up. You go, what? What? I, that, they're not equal. What happened was it was the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It was just one more thing. Everything was shoved back and there's a blow up and you're going, I don't get it. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> because you don't have any deposits. So let me ask you, how's your spouse's tank? It makes a difference. One of the things I do when I'm coaching guys and ladies, I'll ask them, how's your tank? And what I'm talking about is how are they emotionally and spiritually? Are they feeling good? If not, maybe you need to back off a little bit. Make some deposits now. Let me give you a couple ways. Affirming words. For who they are and for what they do. Right? For who they are and for what they do. To my wife, I'm saying... Babe, I love the way you run this place. It used to be just the house, now it's my life. (laughs) Babe, I I so appreciate the way you keep up with everything. So I'm talking about what she's done, and I'll get specific. I'm supposed to meet her in Memphis later this week, and and she's already packed some stuff to to make sure I've got this. She's called me a couple times, do you need this and this? I love that, and I tell her, thank you. Not only who they are, but what they do. One of the things I discovered years ago, date nights. Now, we were broke. People say, I'm broke. I can't afford that. Sure you can. You can go for a walk. Well, that's not a date. Well, that's your, when you're broke, it is. <laughs> Some of y'all broke. Don't pull out the credit card. Go for a date. Go for a walk. It does not have to be expensive. And when you're doing that, focus on conversation, right? Conversation. That means, guys... You got to talk. Means guys, you got to listen fully. Now, the reason I'm picking on guys is because I've learned this. If I pick on ladies too much, they hurt me. Guys, you're not going to mess with me. I'm not worried about that. But I must treat the ladies right, right? Little joke there. Work with me here. I'm trying to keep you going. Ask your spouse, what's a deposit for you? Here's why. I used to think her deposits 
made me happy. That's not always the case. Have you discovered that yet? If not, wake up and ask. This is terrible, I guess. Maybe not terrible. But we were married probably 18 years before I discovered she just loved to go to the movie theater. I could have cared less. But you know what I started doing every day? That I would we'd start part of the day would have a movie. She loved it. How easy was that? That's true. I had to go see a bunch of chick flicks too, guys. I mean, at first on the chick flicks, I'm going, oh, but I didn't tell her. Then after a little bit, I kind of enjoyed them. And then I caught myself crying at one of them. <laughs> and then I started enjoying the cry. Yeah, it was bad. I don't have my man card. She's got that packed at home. Okay, we said center on grace, prepare for seasons. Last thing is this, seal your marriage in Christ. Seal your marriage in Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 2. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united or sealed together. The two become one. See, marriage is God's idea, and it's a covenant, not a contract. Important catch here. A covenant, not a contract. Contracts have an escape clause. Right? You got a contract, you don't like it, you go to law, you go to court, you sue, and you get out of it. People treat marriage that way. What I'm talking about is a covenant relationship. And, and let me say this. If you've been through divorce, that's not what I'm talking about. You, that's the past. We got to go forward, okay? There's grace and forgiveness for that. I'm not here trying to throw guilt on you or shame. There's no value in guilt and shame. If you're hearing guilt and shame, it's not from me. I've been married before. I was married, was in youth ministry, and my wife left. I wasn't beating anybody or anything like that, but she left and filed for divorce, and I'm divorced, and what am I doing? I'm in ministry. I carried that for a long time until a pastor looked at me and said, you know what, Hal? You're not damaged goods. Some of y'all here need to hear that. Hear that. You're not damaged goods. God can still use you. He wants to use you. He wants to build your marriage. You're not damaged goods. It's a covenant. The covenant in the Old Testament was represented by blood. It's until death do you part. See, we need to seal our marriages with super glue. Have you ever done two fingers together? I mean, they super glue cuts. Too many people are Velcroing their marriage together. It can be hard to pull apart, but you can get there. That's the escape clause. Commit. I mean, weld that escape hatch closed. That's how you make it through the tough times. Nobody casually makes their marriage work. You know that, right? I've got a friend, actually the couple, has completed a bunch of marathons. And they didn't complete any of those marathons by accident. <laughs> There's training involved. And then the race itself is about staying engaged, going through your quitting points. Now, I've never made or ran a marathon. I'm more of a Clydesdale. But marriage is a marathon. It's not how you start. Nobody's in the starting blocks trying to get it perfect. It's how you finish. 
I want you to finish well. And bigger than me, God wants you to finish well. Nobody casually stumbles into a long-lasting, loving marriage. It's a choice. Every day, and you're fighting for it. But I believe this. The secret to a lasting, fulfilling marriage is one that's centered on Christ. I don't know how you stay married if you're not a Christian. There's wounds that hurts. Everybody that's married I know has a reason for divorce. I didn't say they should get one, <laughs> but they have a reason. Do you know what she said? Do you know what he did? But what I am saying is God can make a way. Look at King David's life. Is that amazing to you? It's amazing to me. He starts so well, finds himself in a ditch, pulls back out, Starts chasing after God again. And God said he completed his plan for his life. If you're married, part of God's plan for your life is to finish well. You're going, but you don't know who he is. I know. But you don't know what she said. I get it. A, a covenant is a commitment that doesn't have any out clauses. And the only way you're going to make this Christian life married is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you here as I'm talking about that, you're thinking, I don't know. Well, I grew up up north, pretty pagan. I did not go to church. I was a CEO. Christmas and Easter only. That's when I went. And I didn't like it. But I met a guy down in Georgia who shared his faith with me, and he had something different than what I knew about. I knew about a church. I didn't know about a relationship. And that's what God wants with you. Yes. If you're not experiencing a relationship with Christ right now, I want to invite you to step into that. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment that you can pray silently. I'll pray it out loud. And you can begin that journey. Some of you have opted out and you're in the stands right now. Well, get back in the game. Yes. God's not done with you. Amen. He's got plans for you. Yes. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities. He wants to use you. How good is that? God would use us. And you know you. I know me. I am so glad there's not a TV on my head that shows what I'm thinking. Can you imagine? Oh, how about your head? Yeah, you're looking at me and judging me. God loves us and forgives us. So if you've never experienced the grace of Jesus, I'm gonna, let's all bow our heads right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer out loud that you can pray silently and begin that journey with Jesus today. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Just say that silently to God. Right now, I trust you to be my forgiver. I have sinned. I commit my life to you. I choose to follow you. Lead me in my next best step, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, with your head still bowed, if this group is typical, some of you in here are on the brink, and you're saying, Hal, pray for me. I want a better marriage. Some of you are in here and your marriage is going well and you want a better marriage. I'm going to pray a prayer you can pray silently. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for my spouse. 
Jesus, I commit to your plan in marriage. I commit my life to your plan, not mine. God, you've called me to be married, and I'm choosing this covenant now. I'm not going to take the escape. I'm going to follow you and find a way to fight through. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, my guy. Thank you again for spending...